Hello, good morning and welcome to Passing the Baton number 47 and it's the 26th of March 2011. The title for this month is In the Twinkling of an Eye and it's about the rapture or catching away of the church. So here's the introduction. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-52 in the New American Standard says this Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. When I began to prepare this message, I started in the usual way, looking at the scriptural references to show you from the scriptures that there will be such an event as the rapture or the catching away of the church. However, I wasn't far in before the Lord impressed me that he did not want me to start that way, or indeed that was not the way he wanted to go at all. He wanted me to start with his heart towards his beloved bride. He wanted me to speak to you in the language of love, the bridegroom lover calling to his beloved. Song of Solomon 2.10 says, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Because he's planning not only a wedding but a coronation, and it's time to awaken my great beauty. There was a conversation in heaven over you, beloved bride, all of this was decided long ago in the predetermined council of the Godhead. Hear this prologue. He was alone. The first tick of time had never sounded, nor had the unending circle of eternity yet commenced. There were neither things created nor things uncreated to share space with him. He dwelt in an age before the Eternals, where all there was was God. Nor was there space for anything else. He was the uncreated, he was the all. In this non-time of so long ago there was but one life form, the highest life. He was also love, passionate, emotional, expressive love. In this God dwelling all alone there was a paradox Though he was alone, he was also love, yet there was no counterpart for him to love. A love so vast, so powerful, yet there was no other than. Then life pulsated, light blazed in a newfound glory as revelation ascended in him, as he cried from within the counsel of the Godhead, There can be two. I, the living God, shall have a counterpart. Exulting in revelation, he consecrated his whole being to this one task, to have a bride. For one brief moment, the infinite solitude retreated. But just before he launched his grand design, a very mysterious thing took place in God. Deep within the center of his being, there occurred an event that no other eye was ever to see, no other mind to conceive. A thousand million portions of God burst upward in light. Each of these portions of God ignited into flaming brilliance, as if to proclaim that each had been chosen, even marked off, for some special distant destiny. Having marked off these future destinies, the living God gave himself to making real his highest dream. So he spoke. Let there be. Thus begins Jean Edwards' classic book, The Divine Romance. I would really urge you to read this. God's dream for eternity, a bride. Before anything was, the I Am had a dream, a bride for his son. Ephesians 1.4 in the Amplified even as in his love he chose us, actually picked us out for himself as his own, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, consecrated and set apart for him, and blameless in his sight. 
even above reproach before him in love. Before ever the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, Job 38, 7, in the eternality of the Godhead all was decided before the creation of time. Before the earth ever was formed, God had a plan. You in him and he in you. Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, all sorted from before ever the world was created. Eternal security. All will be well. And the bride price was paid then too, the shed blood of Jesus. With it he bought us. Revelation 13.8, again in the Amplified, the lamb that was slain in sacrifice from the foundation of the world. 1 Corinthians 6.20 in the NIV, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And 1 Corinthians 7.23, you were bought with a price. God is a romantic. Since he placed Adam and then Eve in the Garden of Eden according to his eternal plan, God has been seeking a bride for his son. In creating Adam and Eve he showed us a picture, a type, a shadow of his desire that man might live in intimate spiritual communion with him as a husband with his wife. This is how I want us to be like this. So he places Adam and Eve in the garden to show us union and communion. John 17:11 and Jesus that they may be one even as you and I are one. John 17:21 that they may be all one even as you Father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us. Wand. Everything that is made, everything that is created, is contained within the Godhead. There is no other than. Time, space is contained within God himself. He fills everything with himself. He is omnipresent, everywhere and in everything. In taking Eve from Adam's side, he gave us a picture of the Bride of Christ emerging from the Saviour's riven side, thousands of years later, a bride born of water, spirit and the blood of Christ. Everything he's ever done has been for that one end, to provide a companion for his son. Having taken Eve from Adam's side in the institution of the marriage covenant, the two became again one flesh. Thus he demonstrated the intimacy he would desire with his people, I in them, you in me, and they in us, one with him. That they would live in an intimate, personal embrace for eternity. The fracture of that relationship, foreknown by him, did not deter him, but rather propelled him into his search for the one who would ravish his heart with one glance of her eye, who would captivate him for eternity, and whom he planned would share his throne forever a wedding and a coronation. Such a plan for eternity has always been in the heart of God and placed by him in the heart of man. Ecclesiastes 3.11 From Genesis to Revelation we see the unfolding of a love story, the lover of the universe paying court to his bride. From Genesis to Revelation we see a wedding, a marriage, a divine union of God with his people. Father is a romantic. He dreams of a wedding. We belong to Jesus, not only because he bought us with his blood, he paid the bride price, but because we are the Father's gift to him. We are his joy, his reward, his glory and his crown and he is ours. He would die for us again if it was necessary. Such is the love he has for each one of us. Song of Solomon 8, 6 and 7 Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. 
for love is as strong as death. Its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. God, who made everything because of love, says Julian of Norwich, by the same love sustains it, now and forever. Love is the key. God wants us to know that our bridegroom will appear suddenly and with a joy that overrides everything else. He tells us, Hebrews 12.2, New American Standard, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Beloved of God, we are the joy which was set before him when he endured the cross. Make no mistake, he longs for the day when he comes to take you to himself forever. He longs for you to sit with him on his throne. He is eager to be with you. He wants you to live with both the hope and the expectancy of his soon appearing. Let him kiss me, the bride responds. Song of Songs 1, 2-4 Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Let him kiss me. What is this kiss? It is complete spiritual union. The kiss is the complete union of God's spirit to your spirit. This is what the woman, the bride of Christ, cries out to know in the Song of Songs, complete spiritual union. And the journey towards this complete union will continue until he comes for his bride. Song of Songs 4 verse 3 Your lips are like a scarlet thread and your speech is sweet. Lips represent the will. The lips kiss with affection that which it loves. Your speech is sweet. The heart has a language that no one but God can understand. Something within you speaks only to Him. There are secrets shared only between the bridegroom and his bride. Let the king bring me into his chambers. There let the marriage be consummated. Let that spiritual union be complete. Let us become one, as Jesus asked his Father that we might, melded, united, forever. Not until all is stilled and heaven's bliss is entered in, we shall in wonder understand that which to us now is dim, half forgotten, never understood, the depths to which we fell, the depths to which he went, to restore us to himself again, bride and bridegroom at one, to spend eternity in heaven's bliss again. Beloved, we have forever been in the heart of God. The consummation is that we return from whence we came. Sent from inside his heart, we return to his heart. As we look now at the parallels between the ancient wedding ceremony and the marriage of the Bride of Christ, please be aware that we are speaking of the consummation of a spiritual union, not a physical one. So let's pause for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our heart and our spiritual understanding in order that we may apply these beautiful truths as we look at what is in store. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you, you sent your only Son to die on the cross for us that you might raise all those who believed to eternal life with him. 
And not only that, Father, you've prepared an amazing future for us as we reign and rule with him for eternity. Jesus, thank you. You desire your bride with a passion. You did everything to pay the price to obtain her. May we match your passion for us with ours for you, beloved bridegroom. Holy Spirit, you are the best, best man ever. Please lead us and guide us into what you were showing us when you conceived the ancient wedding ceremony, what you had in mind when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy, what you were brooding over when the earth was without form and void. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his dear sake that we may make your heart glad, blessed Trinity. Amen. So, having set the scene then, let's have a look at the ancient Jewish wedding ceremony because this is the most beautiful type or illustration we can draw when we speak of the catching away or the rapture of the church, the way a wedding took place in Jesus' time. Matthew 1.18, New American Standard. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, the young carpenter, had wooed and won Mary. They were engaged, betrothed, not yet married. Just as we are engaged, betrothed, not yet married to our bridegroom who is coming back for us as he promised. John 14, 2 and 3, NIV I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. He will come for his bride in exactly the same way as was the custom in ancient times. He's promised. Jesus was Jewish. He is a Jew and will return as a Jew. So we must set this in the appropriate culture. A Jewish marriage had four distinct stages, all of which can be traced clearly through the scriptures and they are the most beautiful illustration of the relationship of the church as the bride of Christ to her coming bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look first at stage one, which is the contract and the bride price. Although marriages were sometimes arranged by the parents and sometimes still are, in ancient Israel when a young man desired to marry the girl of his choice, he would prepare a contract or a covenant to present to her and her father at the young woman's home. This contract showed his willingness to provide for his love and described the terms under which he would propose marriage. To this day we call marriage a covenant. When we marry we enter into the covenant of marriage and we both agree to do certain things. Individually we declare I will in the presence of witnesses. In the Middle East, the most important part of the contract was the bride price. That was what the father of the bride was interested in. The price that the young man was willing to pay to gain his young woman. It reflected the depth of his love for her. And this payment was be to be paid to the young, man's, the young woman's father in exchange for his permission to marry her. The bride price was generally quite high because sons were considered to be more valuable than daughters since they were physically more able to share in the work of farming and other heavy labour. The bride price, however, would compensate the young girl's family and would reflect the cost that they'd had to put out to raise her. So it indicated the love that the young man had for the young woman, the height and the depth of the price. The young woman was very valuable to him and what he was prepared to pay for her showed this. So the young man would go to the house of his love taking with him the contract and he would formally present his offer of marriage to the young woman and her father. 
In the Old Testament we see this principle at work where Abraham sends his servant for a wife for Isaac in Genesis 24. That's an arranged marriage. And again in Genesis 29 where Jacob meets and loves Rachel and serves Laban seven years for her. These seven years were the bride price he paid for her, which he negotiated with Laban. His labour for seven years for no wage. The price he was prepared to pay to have her as his own. I wonder how many young men these days would be prepared to work for nothing for seven years for their love. Can't wait seven minutes. In one instance here, neither the bride nor the bridegroom knew one another as the marriage was arranged by the bridegroom's father. Abraham so Isaac never met Rebekah but when he did he loved her. In the other situation Jacob fleeing from his, for his life from Esau chose his own bride even if he did get Leah first for whom he also worked seven years thus paying the, the bride price. Before the foundation of the earth the Godhead had a round table meeting to discuss something just lose your imagination for a minute. Can you imagine their excitement and joy? They were talking about a wedding, which would be the wedding of the universe. It's not good for man to be alone. It would take a few days to prepare, of course, but they were not in any hurry. Everything must be perfect. And the planning was but part of the enjoyment. After all, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. At this meeting it was agreed that Jesus would pay the bride price to his father for us. We are the father's gift of a bride to Jesus. Mark this, beloved, you are not an afterthought. You are not an afterthought. You are the father's gift to the son and the price was his life, his blood, poured out. Before ever the foundation of the earth was laid, Jesus agreed to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10.45 For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And none will be lost. John 6.39 This is the will of him who sent me, that all of that he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. This gift is referred to by Jesus throughout John 17 in his high priestly prayer for believers. We pick it up in verse 24. John 17, well worth reading and looking at from this point of view. That we belong to him. All the way through, he talks about it. John 17:24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you've given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. So Jesus came to the home of his bride, the earth, to woo his bride and present his marriage contract which he'd already agreed with the father. He was prepared to pray the, pay the bride price which had been set by his father, his life for theirs, that they might be with him forever. The marriage contract which Jesus made available to us is what we call the new covenant, which provides forgiveness of sins, everlasting life and eternal bliss for those who believe. At the Last Supper with his closest friends, when he broke bread at the beginning of the Passover cedar and offered them a cup after supper, Jesus spoke of the price he was paying for his bride. He did something very significant. Luke 22, 19-20 in the King, New King James Version. He took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, 
which is shed for you. His body represented in the bread and his blood in the cup. The cup is very significant. During the negotiations for the intended marriage, if the bride price was agreeable to the young woman's father, the time came to ask the young woman herself if she was willing to take this man to be her husband. The young man would pour a glass of wine for the delight of his eye and offer it to her. This was a crucial and lovely moment. Would she have him or not? He hands her the cup. He waits for her answer. If she took the cup and drank the wine, smiling at him over the rim as she nodded her head in agreement, she indicated she accepted his proposal. It was at this point they would become betrothed. They were henceforth spoken for. The betrothal was legally binding. This was the situation with Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she found herself pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, Joseph, was minded to put her away privily, as the King James says it. In our own country, 50 years ago, a law called a breach of promise of marriage was still in force. If the bridegroom or the bride breached or broke their promise of marriage to the betrothed, it was a legally binding contract, so it was possible to sue. Gilbert and Sullivan immortalised it in their comic opera, Trial by Jury. Just as the bridegroom would pour a cup of wine for the bride to drink to seal the marriage contract, so here Jesus with his disciples, just before his departure, pours the wine, the last cup. His words describe the significance of the cup in representing the bride price for the marriage contract. In taking the cup and offering it to them, he was offering them marriage and a place in the kingdom. As the disciples took and drank the cup representing his blood which was to be poured out, they signified their acceptance of the marriage contract or new covenant. Jeremiah 31.31 in the New American Standard says this, Behold the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And we will all eat of the bread and drink of that cup at the great banquet which awaits us after our wedding. Meanwhile, when we take of the communion, break bread and wine, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, until he comes for his bride. Every time we partake, we accept again the offer of marriage to the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the earth, and we remember him and long for him because we long for that spiritual union to be complete. 1 Corinthians 11:23-26 For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. And Paul says, make sure you eat in a manner worthy of the body and blood of the Lord. Make sure you're not out of fellowship with anyone when you partake, because you are all one body, one soul, one bride. 1 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29 but a man must examine himself and in so doing but a man must examine himself and in so doing he is to eat at the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly and jesus well he himself will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until that marriage supper takes place in the fulfilment of the kingdom of God on the renewed earth after we have spent seven days in the bridal chamber as we will see shortly.
Luke 29, I'm so sorry, Luke 22, 15 and 16, New King James Version. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Back then to the ancient wedding system and the gifts that the bridegroom would give to the bride. The next thing he would do would be to present the bride with special gifts. The purpose of these gifts was to show the groom's appreciation of his bride. You will remember when the servant was sent, Eliezer, uh, at Isaac's behest, he took uh, nose rings and money uh, and all sorts of trinkets for the bride that he was going to choose for Isaac. So there was an indication of what happened when the bridegroom chose his bride. They, he gave her gifts. And these gifts were also intended to help her remember him during the long betrothal period because sometimes a considerable period would elapse between the first and second stages. Often the bride and groom didn't see each other again until the wedding day. Ephesians 4.8 This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. The gifts that Jesus gave us are the Holy Spirit himself and his gifts, given to keep us in remembrance of Jesus until he comes for us. He will take of mine and give it to you. Gifts for the bride. And then the bride takes a bath. <clears throat> Everything being settled, the bride would next partake of a mikvah. M-I-K-V-E-H or ceremonial cleansing bath. This is the same word that we use for baptism and it's a total immersion. Head to toe, feet and everything under. Even in Orthodox Judaism today these baths or washings still take place for various reasons including when a woman is going to marry. The baptism that Jesus provided for his bride was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Plunged by the Holy Spirit into Jesus, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. 1 Corinthians 12:13. And then there was the preparation of a chamber where he would take his bride. So we move on to the preparing of a place. John 14.1 I go to prepare a place for you. Just as a bridegroom would have told his bride that he would go to prepare a place for her in his father's house, so Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. There are many mansions there. Literally, my father's estate is huge and there are many houses or residents there. During the betrothal period, the bridegroom would prepare a wedding chamber for the honeymoon and this chamber typically was built onto the bridegroom's father's house. The wedding chamber had to be a beautiful place to bring the bride and it would be built to the father's specifications. The newlyweds would spend the first seven days of their marriage there before the wedding feast. John 14.3 And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The young man was not permitted to go for his bride until his father was absolutely satisfied with the chamber which had been prepared. So, if the young man was asked when the wedding might be, he would probably answer, it's not for me to know, only my father knows. Mark 13:32. But of that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. In ancient Israel the bridegroom could get his bride only after his father approved the accommodation.
Similarly, Jesus tells his disciples the same thing and adds in Mark 13:33, Take heed, keep on the alert, for you don't know when the appointed time will come. The waiting bride then consecrates herself for her bridegroom and keeps in a state of readiness for his arrival. While the bridegroom was preparing the wedding chamber according to the father's instructions, the bride was considered to be consecrated, that is, set apart, or as we've already seen, bought at a price, the bride price. During this time, as she prepared herself for marriage, the waiting bride would purchase expensive cosmetics and learn to apply them to make herself even more beautiful for her bridegroom. Because she wouldn't know when he was going to come for her, she always had to be ready. And since bridegrooms typically came for their brides in the middle of the night to steal them away, the bride would have to have her lamp burning and her belongings ready at all times. Song of Solomon 5 verse 2 I was asleep, but my heart was awake. A voice, my beloved, was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the damp of the night. Here we see the lover coming at night for his beloved, but she sleeps and seems reluctant to get up. Verse 3 I've taken off my dress, how can I put it on again? I've washed my feet, how can I dirty them again? My beloved extended his hand through the opening and my feelings were aroused for him. I rose to open to my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and I and had gone. My heart went out to him as he spoke. I searched for him, but I didn't find him. I called him, but he did not answer me. The watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me, those keepers of the walls. They took my veil away from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am lovesick. Here the beloved is portrayed as sleeping when the bridegroom comes for her. She rises, puts on her veil, which indicates she is betrothed, and goes out to find him, but he's nowhere to be seen, and the watchmen treat her harshly. As God's people, as the bride, we are now consecrated or set apart, preparing ourselves, veiled, waiting the return of our bridegroom. We should be spending this time, therefore, making ourselves beautiful for him. Revelation 19.7 Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. We must be ready to save from getting ready. So we come to the second stage and the fetching of the bride which is our subject for today. When the bridegroom's father deemed the wedding chamber ready, the father would take the bridegroom. All is ready? Go, fetch your bride. The bridegroom may at this point be accompanied by his friends in a procession. He would abduct his bride secretly, like a thief at night, and take her to the wedding chamber in, her father's in his father's house. As he approached her home, he would shout and blow the shofar, the trumpet. So she had some warning of his coming. She'd gather herself up then. Then he would seize her. He would snatch her away like a thief in the night and would take her to the prepared wedding chamber. Here we have both the shout and the trumpet as Jesus comes for his bride. And we find it in 1 Thessalonians 4. 16 to 18 in the NIV. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. 
Therefore comfort one another with these words. The snatching away or seizing of the bride is referred to in the scriptures as the rapture or catching away of the church. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2, Paul says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. A long time. Even as a long period of time can elapse between the first and second stages in a Jewish marriage, even so it's been with us. It's been over 2,000 years since the first stage was accomplished in a time-space context. But someday soon, the second stage must take place when Jesus will come to fetch the bride to his heavenly home and present her to his Father. And this event will take place without warning and in the twinkling of an eye. So then we would move on to the third stage, seven days in the wedding chamber. The bridegroom, having snatched his bride away, would take her to the wedding chamber. You remember now it was built on the side of father's, the bridegroom's father's house, where they would spend the next seven days. One of the bridegroom's friends would wait outside the door. When the wedding was consummated, the bridegroom would tell the friend through the door and the friend would announce it to the assembled guests. The guests would then celebrate for seven days until the bride and groom emerged. We've already seen from our previous studies that this is the time when our works will be judged, this seven days, seven years, and rewarded. And it'll take place during the seven days, which are seven years of trouble, which are to come on the earth at the end of all things. We know this time period is the Great Tribulation. During the time of the tribulation, the bride will enter the wedding chamber with her bridegroom, where complete spiritual union with him will take place. Then the marriage. Revelation 19, 6-8, New American Standard. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of many peals of thunder, he can't explain this, it's like this, it's like this, it's like this, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. I think it was Derek Prince who said uh, he doesn't want the bride to be wearing a garment where it exposes her buttocks. <laughs> Meaning that she needs to have enough righteous acts to cover her. I don't think we need to worry about that too much. So white linen, white and clean. Our works will have been judged at the beamer seat and we will be clothed in fine white linen, bright and clean. Only that which survived the fire will clothe us. There is no spot in the Song of Songs 4 verse 7. And then comes the marriage supper. And this is the fourth and final stage. After the seven days in the wedding chamber, the happy pair emerge and participate in a great feast with friends and family. Happy is the one who has an invitation to this, Revelation 19.9. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. When in Revelation you find the angel telling John to write something, it means it, get this down, note it, it is important. So the statement is, happy are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Many are called, bidden to this marriage feast, and it will take place at a different location than the marriage ceremony itself, which takes place in heaven. 
the marriage feast will be back on the renewed earth after the second advent. The feast celebrating the marriage of the Lamb will take place here and the guests will include all the Old Testament saints who are now resurrected. It will not take place with the church before the tribulation but at the end of the tribulation and it will include the tribulational saints and martyrs. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So with this marriage feast all four stages will be completed. And our 1,000 years of co-reigning with Christ on the renewed earth and our coronation will start with this tremendous marriage feast. And the final picture we get of the Bride of Christ is contained in the closing chapters of the Bible itself. Revelation 21, 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven final plagues, afflictions, calamities, came and spoke to me and said, Come with me, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. In this passage we are told that as a result of the four earlier stages, the bride is now the married wife. And then we have a striking description of this glorious eternal wife of Christ in her eternal state. Revelation 21.10 And following. Then in the spirit he conveyed me away to a vast and lofty mountain and exhibited to me the holy, hallowed, consecrated city of Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, clothed in God's glory in all its splendor and radiance. The lustre of it resembled a rare and most precious jewel like jasper, shining clear as crystal. It had a massive and high wall with twelve large gates, and at the gates there were stationed twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were written. On the east side three gates, on the north side three gates, on the south side three gates and on the west side three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who spoke to me had a golden measuring reed, rod, to measure the city and its gates and its wall. Verse 16 The city lies in a square, its length being the same as its width, and he measured the city with his reed, 12,000 stadia, about 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are the same. He measures its wall also, 144 cubits, about 72 yards, by a man's measure of a cubit from his elbow to his third fingertip, which is the measure of the angel. The wall was built of jasper, while the city itself was of pure gold, clear and transparent like glass. The foundation stones of the wall of the city were ornamented with all of the precious stones. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony or white agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each separate gate being built of one solid pearl. And the main street, the broad way of the city, was gold as, as pure and translucent as glass. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Omnipotent himself and the Lamb himself are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to give it light, for the splendour and radiance of the glory of God illuminate it, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations shall walk by its light, and the rulers and leaders of the earth shall bring it to their glory. And its gates shall never be closed by day, and there shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory, the splendour and majesty and the honour of the nations to it, 
but nothing that defiles or profanes or is unwashed shall ever enter it, nor anyone who commits abominations, unclean, detestable, morally repugnant things, or practices falsehood, but only those whose names are recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. We conclude then, as we began, with Jean Edwards and the waiting bride scanning the horizon for her husband-to-be. When shall mortality put on immortality? When shall all inhabitants of the flesh fade away? When will I know, as he has always known me, when spirit returns to spirit? When shall the bride have made herself ready? When shall I cast my eyes to these very skies and see angels, ten thousand times ten thousand, innumerable, descending, and I, we, be plucked from here by his almighty power, changed even before the eyelid can wink, like him? Then shall I see the unseen, then shall I know as I am known, and when the wedding feast, she seems to ask the stars, when shall the fiancé become the bride and the bride the wife? How the consummation? She looks again into the skies, from horizon to horizon. Far off day begins to fill her mind's eye. She begins to see an event far, far distant. She begins to see. She begins to see the culmination of the dream of the Godhead before the foundation of the earth. When they dreamed a dream of a bride, a wife for the son, who would love him for eternity. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take of the water of life come without cost. God bless you all. One thing is sure. Our Lord will come. Maranatha. Come Lord. Come. Amen. <laughs>